Terence Howard, who plays Rhodes <laughs> in this. He's, I've gone to his Wikipedia page because he's one of those actors that I'm certain I've seen in loads of things. And he's been in loads of things, but they're all things I'm certain I haven't seen. Have you looked up his numbers thing? There's oh, a, boy. That 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4. It equals 3 because 1 doesn't exist or something stupid. This this Wikipedia article is a ride. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I think he's, he's working from the premise that the square root of 4 is 2. Therefore, the square root of 2 must be 1. Therefore, 1 times 1 is 2. Uh, Howard blames his leaving Pratt over disagreements with a professor regarding this hypothesis. So it seems like he was arguing what 1 times 1 is, which led to his third divorce. <laughs> no, Sharon. 1 times 1 is not 1. No, wait, sorry. Pratt is not one of his wives. Who's Pratt, then? I don't know. Boy, this this is a... Oh. I like the fact that the, the Wikipedia article is like early life, career, personal life, and in the personal life it's teriology, domestic violence incidents. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, there's every paragraph in this has got a detail that would be the number one weirdest fact you know about any other actor. <laughs> hey, he witnessed his father stab a guy in the Santa Line slaying. Uh, Big Mama's house. I've seen Big Mama's house. Got married to someone who is Jewish, but decided to raise their children as Jehovah's Witnesses. Why not? <laughs> There's a whole article behind that to explain. We're talking. It. We're talking about all the things that we're not allowed to talk about during the podcast. Uh, Crash. Wait, I have seen Crash. Crash Ray. I f- have a feeling I've seen the Salon. Previously, a popular contender for worst Oscar win, best picture winner of all time, before the Green Book did won it. Princess and the Frog, the Disney movie I've seen. Uh, the Ledge. I genuinely don't know if I saw Red Tails or not. He claimed on Jimmy Kimmel Live that he has a PhD in chemical engineering. From South Carolina State University. From a university that does not award doctorates. He was he awarded an honorary doctorate of humane letters from SCSU after speaking at his commencement ceremony in 2012. But he never attended the university. Boy, this guy has had a... Incident-filled life, it would seem. I feel like someone needs to adjust this part. Uh, He was contracted to play Colonel Rose in Iron Man. He was replaced by actor Don Cheadle in the the film's sequels. A most excellent casting change, in anyone's opinion. (laughs) Including Howard's. Are you recording now? How about now? Uh, Yeah, it is recording now. Are you recording now? I am recording now, so let's just talk through everything we've just spent the last 15 minutes talking about. Your audio quality was bad. <laughs> Pause sounded like a Cylon. Yes, so I did the standard IT thing of turn it off and turn it back on again, and it was all fine. Have you turned it on and back off again? That's a very bad Irish accent. It is. It's late, okay? It's late. It has been a very long day. It's been stress and delivering effective one-to-one trainings, okay? That's... Oh, really? Uh, apparently, I'm not allowed to just point at you and tell you that you're shit and you know you are, and to buck up your ideas, laddie, or you ain't got a job. That's bad one-to-one giving. I mean, you said you've had a long day. I'm pretty sure Tony Stark had a pretty fucking long day at the beginning <laughs> of this film. Yes, segue complete.
and welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 2 of Remedial Nerding. Uh, This week it is the original, original, first, it's probably not the original Iron Man because that would have been the comic book from the Nerdmer, but the first Iron Man film and the first in the MCU series. I'm now wondering if it was the first incarnation of Iron Man on film, even straight to TV movie. I mean, there's probably been something animated, surely. Well, given that we're not watching along, I'm assuming everyone's got their right hand on the Wikipedia. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it's on the iPad in front of me, and I am actually watching along. I'm, I'm ready to skip ahead. Just I would like to myself. tell you that the pretty much the last thing in the Wikipedia entry before the uh, references is a see also for list of films featuring powered exoskeletons. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only item under see also. The IMDb page is good. It's... Aliens, Avatar, and the wrong trousers. <laughs> That's a very auspicious list. Well, I'm on the the Iron Man uh, Wikipedia article, as in like the cartoon one. Iron, Iron Man, Man in brash, other media. Brackets character. In 1966, Iron Man was featured in a series of cartoons. So this was definitely not the first outing for Iron Man. 1960. I that was that was earlier than I thought the thing for, uh, the character dated back to. He was also in a 1981 episode of uh, Spider-Man and his, and his Amazing Friends, which sounds like a children's book. Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. Well, I mean, not to be too blunt about it, but it was a children's book. This was... <laughs> <laughs> they are not children's books, they are graphic novels. I mean, prior to about, I don't know, Watchmen or something, they were pretty much children's books, though. All right, fair. So, given that you haven't seen the film before, Nathan... What did you think? Well, I watched it like three or four days ago, and I have almost no recollection of it now. Uh, I've had more unpleasant ways of spending between one and three hours. Couldn't tell you how many, how long it actually was. Uh, two hours, ten minutes. Yeah. But it doesn't have you know, the uh, high-octane seared into my memory power of like Lincoln or Wally or anything. <laughs> Wait, actual Lincoln or Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Uh, whichever one Steven Spielberg directed. So not Vampire Hunter. Well, you say that, but the Confederates are subhuman monsters. I can't really tell which is... <laughs> is that reality? Is that a fictionalisation? Is this just fantasy? You know, it's bad when you can't tell the difference between reality and satire. <laughs> Bleep out obligatory Brexit joke here. <laughs> I would... Now, I was going to try and make one of my trademark ridiculously obscure jokes that makes me seem more intelligent than I am, but I failed to Wikipedia ahead of time what the term for a radical Republican in the 1860s was. Was it a mugwump? I'm going to look up what a mugwump was. We are Edit this together so I sound intelligent. Who knows, we might actually get talking about an action film in a minute rather than, you know, American domestic politics. We'd we'd struggle. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, this is all about American politics. (laughs) What, a film set in 2008 where an arms contractor goes to Afghanistan to kill a load of people? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't doesn't sound like there's any politics in my adventure stories. (laughs) 
gets a gets a chest full of shrapnel and then builds a nuclear reactor in a, a cave. Unless by politics you mean black people, and there's one of those. <laughs> oh, and there's the bleep. <laughs> oh, hey, hang on, hang on. There's even a woman in this film. Yeah, I think I've been on Twitter too much. It's poisoned my brain. Yeah, I'll do that. I did like right at the very beginning that the line when he's riding in the car and he just goes, "Holy shit, you're a woman." <laughs> yeah. I didn't realise, but isn't that what we're going for? Well, I do like the bit where he goes, uh, you're a soldier. She goes, I'm an airman. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you, you were. You're a troop. <laughs> you're, a, you're a troop. You're a red shirt. Can we all just agree, though, that Tony Stark is a massive douche in this film? Oh, absolutely. He's, the first third of this film... Seems like it's socialist propaganda. (laughs) (laughs) It could not be more so if he'd not have like a a servant bring him crushed ice and then kneel down to be a table for him to rest his martini on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm guessing it is all done so that, you know, we kind of have a disdain for Tony Stark. That is entirely the idea. You're supposed to dislike Tony and then as he kind of... His redemption. Go along, you... Yeah, yeah, exactly. You start to uh, feel for him more as you go along. This film is, I mean, in retrospect, obviously an origin film, but it's very an origin film. (laughs) I actually made a note, uh, despite my crack earlier, I know it's longer than one hour, one minute, because that's the point at which I stopped the film to write down the note. If at this point, Tony Stark has, he's had his main revelation and decided to do good in the world. But if he just decided to write a billion dollar check to the Gates Foundation and then smoke weed for the rest of the film, <laughs> there wouldn't really be any consequences. The stakes are nil at this point. <laughs> I do like to think of Iron Man as the film where Tony Stark realises his mistakes and makes enemies out of his friends and his enemies. That There is no one in this film that he does not piss off who he is close to. Obadiah, Pepper Potts, possibly. Rhodes. Oh, he pisses Pepper Potts off. Well, it didn't seem like it was excessively more so than at the start of the film. <laughs> I feel the the bit where, like later on in the film, when she walks and he goes, "Come on, this is not the weirdest thing you've ever seen me do." She's a little bit pissed. Incidentally, Pepper Potts is very much a female character from the nineteen sixties that we did not expect to ever actually have to give a credible actor to portray. <laughs> yeah, to. A very well, you could see it could quite easily be a very outdated persona to have to try and play. Isn't that like everything about Stark seems to be very old misogynistic America, which would have been the very much the era of his dad, who just happened to die when he was very very young and impressionable. As I say, it really irritates me that Gwyneth Paltrow is so good at acting <laughs> <laughs> and so very very bad at medicine. Exactly. I want it to be terrible across the board, but it's that Onion article, heartbreaking, worst person in the world makes a great point. (laughs) Very good at acting, also very good at getting women to wander around with stones in their vagina. (laughs) Why why is goop a thing? I I don't know. Why is it a billion dollar thing? (laughs) (laughs) So... Back to the beginning of the film, Tony is firmly establishing himself as douche nozzle with everyone he knows, and then goes off to Afghanistan to sell some weapons to the military. My one point that I wrote down in the transition from Tony Stark house to Tony Stark Afghanistan was on the plane, 
Andy, apart from it just being worrying in this day and age, and something that Disney would never have allowed in these movies whatsoever, was where the hell does the stripper pole come from? I know it comes up from the floor, but there is not enough room beneath that floor for that pole. Have you ever looked at a cross-section of an airliner, Dan? It's not doesn't look that big. But it's you can stand up in the cargo deck of a of an airliner. Oh no, no, it looks too. Can you imagine they've got a cross section of a circle, and the floor is at the midpoint of it. So there's as much below as there is above. It's where your suitcases go. No, they get a second plane. Everyone knows that. That's how they get lost. No, they get the second plane once they get lost. Toronto Pearson Airport uses airliners to transport luggage between the terminals. <laughs> Shout out for Toronto Pearson Airport fans. <laughs> whoop, whoop. No one's a fan of Pearson. It's worse than LaGuardia. Uh, Tony does have some good one-liners in this movie. Uh, I, as much as it's a bad quote because it's weapons, but here's one about... Um, they say the weapon you never have to fire is the greatest weapon. I disagree. It's the weapon you never have to fire twice. What's the point of having you know, a doomsday weapon if you can <laughs> prove to everyone else that it works? <laughs> also, what was his phone? I mean, imagine it was a product placement. It's an LG, and it's, it's the one you push the little button, and the screen slides up and then flips 90 degrees into portrait mode. Uh, landscape mode, sorry. It's worth remembering that Iron Man is pre-iPhone. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's from the Bush administration. I mean, it it holds up pretty well, no, it, except for little details like that. Okay, it's a technical question. Tony takes a uh, shrapnel to the chest. Bit of shrapnel going into his heart, gonna whiz around and destroy everything in his body. So they dig a hole in his chest and implant a great big fuck-off magnet. Was there not a better way to do this than to carve a big hole in the centre of his ribcage? Well, you think if you carved a big hole in the centre of his ribcage, you probably would have carved the shrapnel out with it, (laughs) with his bones. And also, if you're going to put the magnet close enough to his heart to stop the metal fragment from going deeper into his heart, would you not just crank it up a little bit and pull the fucker out? Unless it was already supposed to be embedded in the muscle of his heart and it's just to stop it from going any further inside and shredding it. In which case you don't want to put it back out because then he'll just bleed profusely from his from his chest hole. Ah, you've already got a hole in his chest. You might as well just shove the soldering iron in at that point and just cauterise that bit. <laughs> it's like going to the garage and say, well, I've got the wheels off anyway, so I might as well change, might as well change the discs as well as the pads. That's it. I'm sorry, Mr. Stark, but it was a choice of either having to lug around this car battery whilst you built this weapon of mass destruction, or, you know, you can no longer do a triathlon. I just thought of something, actually. You said about your lack of suspension of disbelief with the uh, the stripper pole coming up out of the bottom <laughs> of his uh, of his airliner. Not this, you know, then you've got the whole thing about, well, hang on a minute, why are all the flight attendants, you know, where they hitch their um, blouses up and getting shit-faced and dancing as well? But more to the point of that, when he decides to go up really high and then gets encased in ice and falls down. <laughs> but that's not that, that's not how icing works in aircraft. But but he's not an aircraft. No, but you still need moisture. Ice is water. The water's got to come from somewhere. If there are no clouds in the sky, you're not going to pick up icing. <laughs> I know my 
Geek Annoyance was a point at which he described something as producing a certain number of joules per second. Oh, no, joules per second. It was watts per second, wasn't it? I didn't. I thought it was joules per second, oh. and I wrote down that's because watts are too understandable. <laughs> ah, maybe that's what it was. Because people know, yeah, light bulbs and microwaves come in watts. Joules per second sounds way more science. <laughs> <laughs> I felt Iron Man did fall slightly into the first I have to build a weird car problem, which, now I think about it, it refers to a semi-obscure comic that I sent you guys before we started talking. So it falls into the Batman problem where he's got the means and technology to produce a social revolution, but instead decides (laughs) to use it on killing 16 guys in Afghanistan. (laughs) And also punching his former business partner in the face. It's definitely going to come into the realms of because you can. (laughs) Iron Man was... Marvel's answer to Batman and the Arrow. Since the Arrow was the, I've got too many Batman stories for Batman, so we need another super rich guy with a distressing past. Who is the better, Batman or Tony Stark? No, Bruce Wayne or Tony Stark? Well, the problem is that Batman's basically a mythological figure in that the various writers for him have had quite a lot of leeway, which is why you've got I mean, just to use well-known examples, everything from Adam West to Bat Affleck. I was going to say, you can literally <laughs> pick any of the other Batman, and they are polar opposites to Adam West Batman. I don't think it was that much of an outlier. I think there's a spectrum. I mean, it's maybe not quite to the Enter the Spider-Verse levels, but there's there's a lot of Batman around. <laughs> or is it Batsman? Batsman. Man-Bats. So what I think is interesting is just double-checking. Batman Begins came out in 2005. I don't think if Batman Begins had done as well as it did, Iron Man would have done as well either. Batman Begins was the like their their first foray into um, darker, more grittier comic books, wasn't it? Yeah, as when DC could make a decent film or three. I suppose probably prompted Marvel to go, hey, let's step away from making all these movies super comic-y and give us some real heroes. I mean, looking back at the history of Iron Man, at one point it was going to be Nicolas Cage. I kind of want to see that audition tape. Well, he expressed an interest back in 97. They first started thinking about making an Iron Man film in 1990. I have a certain affection for Nicolas Cage now, despite the fact that he's never been in a film I've enjoyed. Because... (laughs) How did you not enjoy National Treasure? (laughs) (laughs) It's got maps and American historical mystery. I've got a feeling that be might be my equivalent of you can't get icing if there aren't clouds. <laughs> I, someone would have noticed if the Constitution had a map on the back of it before now. <laughs> I actually haven't seen that film. That's the only thing I know about it. What I like about Nicolas Cage <laughs> is what I understand to be his method of choosing films, which is the first one that's on the top of the inbox when he finishes filming the last one. <laughs> I don't know why, for some reason, I was thinking about Nicolas Cage in films on the way to work the other day, and the only film that I can think of that he's been in that I've enjoyed is Con Air. Ah, oh, Con Air, it's still cheesy as hell, though. Oh, no, that was it. I was listening to Critical Role, and Marisha was describing um, Bo's hands as deadly weapons, and it made me think of uh, Nicolas Cage in Con Air. <laughs> Being sent to prison because his hands were deadly weapons. Which he killed someone with, yeah. Who totally deserved it. There is a grain of reality in that phrase, which unfortunately is depressing, so I'm not going to go into it too much. 
you can get a longer sentence for assault with a deadly weapon than just assault. So prosecutors prosecutors have a uh, incentive to say, well, trainers could deadly if you stamp someone enough with them. <laughs> <laughs> Including in the, I suppose, the suspension of disbelief is that Tony Stark knows intimately every single weapon designed by his company. I know he's meant to have designed a lot of the components and maybe quite a few of them himself, but there seem to be a lot of weapons that he's pulling apart and intimately knows where all the little tiny pieces are that he needs for this Iron Man suit and this arc reactor. Yeah, it's... That bothered me. The the great man school of theory of um, invention. Like, I don't think anyone's been able to build a cutting-edge technology device on their own since, like... 1825. <laughs> like the spinning Jenny possibly was the last thing that a genius could have built for her on his own from scratch in a cave. Like, I'm not a Marxist scholar or anything, but I've got a feeling that's a lot what a large part of Marx is about. I'm, I'm currently watching Tony Stark build his miniaturized arc reactor. Oh, I'm just reading about some of the the filming of the uh, of the film. That's a terrible sentence. <laughs> the filming of the film. The moving of the film. Tripping back to Nicol- to Nicolas Cage potentially being Iron Man, I don't think I can now see anyone else but Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark to the point that I'm not entirely sure now where Tony Stark ends and Robert Downey Jr. begins. Is this like Benedict Cumberbatch and Sherlock Holmes? I think it's worse. It would now be a total travesty to cast someone else, for example, Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> or Will, um, Will Farrell. I'm going to choose to believe that's a wacky joke because I've not paid then, any attention to that film. Yeah, it, it's a total spoof. I thought you were going to say it was like a total sploosh because it really did not do very well. <laughs> a sploosh is something completely different. I would now kind of like to see a film that somehow has Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes in it and with those two actors, but in reversed positions. <laughs> Come oh, wait, actually. Sherlock's in the MCU, isn't he, later on? Only he is. Space he is. wizard Sherlock. Yep. Isn't there, there actually a meme where someone says, no shit, Sherlock? Whilst I mean, probably. Whilst, I don't know what you're whilst they're both in frame. So reading this, um, they made up a lot of the dialogue just as they went along. Or in the cave. In the entire film, oh. they spent a lot of time making sure the storyline made sense. So they, uh, yeah, they thought, "Oh, we'll worry about the dialogue later and let everyone make it up." That's that's fair. Give them, give the give your actors a, a good backbone and a good grounding in your world, and then let them take it from there for a bit. That's a technique as a director which has had its hits and misses. Notable misses. All right, main hit, Pirates of the Caribbean. Main miss, Pirates of the Caribbean 3. (laughs) (laughs) I say main hit. I think a lot of Star Wars charm comes from actors improvising on set. Or maybe that's just Harrison Ford in every film he's ever been in. Except Apocalypse Now. Not a lot of charm in that one. I don't know. There's, There's a few moments of charm in Apocalypse Now. Maybe not in the traditional... Maybe not in the traditional sense... More in the the horror, the horror sense. Yeah, maybe in a break from the harrowing horror and visions of war. It, okay, it's not owls delivering letters to Harry Potter, but great that one dude didn't die in the napalm attack. 
So Tony Stark not only invents a miniaturized arc reactor in a cave, but also builds his first Iron Man suit and fights his way out of the cave, only to then launch himself miles into the sky and crash down face first into the sand, completely destroy his prototype, get up and walk away without a scratch. Yeah, I was also thinking about that. Like momentum and terminal velocity do not work in those ways either. Even if you're in a steel bucket and you hit the ground after going 100 miles an hour, you're still going to turn into jam. The only difference is you'll be in your nicely contained prepackaged jam as opposed to jam spread over a very large area of countryside. Yeah, isn't that basically what concussion is? Is <laughs> yeah, your brain backing against the inside of your own skull. Yep. So doing having an uh, auxiliary metal skull on the outside doesn't seem like it would help that much. I've got to admit, for a lot of this last conversation, I've just been trying to remember a particular sketch from like ten years ago, with Batman and Commissioner Gordon talking. At one point, Commissioner Gordon goes. Or calls him Bruce, to which he says, "Who's Bruce? I am Batman." <laughs> Come off it, Bruce. They, do you know how many people in this city can afford a holographic jet that flies out of a mountain? <laughs> I'm, sorry. Do you know how many people can afford a bat-shaped jet that flies out of a holographic mountain? The list isn't that long. <laughs> I mean, that is actually. I've never thought of it like that. That is kind of on par with, with Superman and his glasses. I mean, Tony Stark's secret identity only seems to last for like two or three scenes in this after Iron Man is known to be a thing that exists and he has a press conference where he says, yeah, I'm Iron Man. Yeah, the official party line is, that was my bodyguard, I was actually on my yacht, and then he decides to just go, fuck it, I am Iron Man. I like the way Phil's just there going, yeah, look, we've got 50 people who would swear in, in court that you were there, just, just go with the story. Nah, fuck it. I do like out the, um, the the first press conference when he gets back to the states, becomes a a minor crash course in what happens when company CEOs go rogue and drop bombshells on their board members. <laughs> what they do in Elon, you mean? <laughs> We're gonna lock you out of your business <laughs> and continue doing the thing you didn't want to do. I mean, I've criticised Stark and Bruce Wayne for dedicating too much time and energy to flying around the city beating people up. But I suppose it is better than calling random people paedophiles on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is what Notch is doing these days as well, mostly. Because let's let's be spurts Minecraft as well. I don't know, Batman, Tony Stark, Minecraft. Minecraft was a a marvellous invention by nobody knows anymore. (laughs) <laughs> its original author has faded into history. I've lost, lost the time. Yeah, it's like uh, K-Pax in that regard. So, do we think that Obadiah would have been less of an issue if Tony Stark had just gone, do you know what? I will hand over my blueprints for these miniaturised arc reactors and we can help save the world by giving them free energy. Yeah, the arc reactors are kind of underexplored for a possibly world-changing technology. They explain away the big one powering the plant as experimental, never really cost-effective, and we built it there for the hippies. But (laughs) what Tony's got in his chest can save the world. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's underexplored. We don't know if it's 
ridiculously expensive. Is this like powering um, satellites with a big lump of plutonium? As in, very good for specific applications, but totally useless basic in all others? Or is it the Mr. Fusion? Well, it, I mean, it can't be that expensive, because no, he pulled it out of a few warheads that the military had mislaid. <laughs> I mean, palladium's not exactly cheap. I also don't really know why palladium was the thing that makes it work. Because it, it everyone, it's it's recognisable, but on that top end of, I've heard of it, but I can't remember if it does anything. Yeah, it's not obvious like gold or platinum. Although those are used in loads of technology. But it's also not osmium. <laughs> or unobtainium. <laughs> unobtainium. God, that's... Fine, you want to call... You might as well just call it MacGuffinium. <laughs> I, I did like, like the initial versions of uh, the Jarvis tech in Tony's house. So when um, Pepper's got the little, what would be an iPad in today's films, sat next to him, and Stark calls her on the intercom, and his picture pops up. And then as he's talking, it's instantly doing um, speech to text and transcribing the entire conversation both ways. I haven't ever spotted that, actually. Is this part of the reason it doesn't feel particularly dated for a film from 11 years ago? That there's lots of sci-fi elements that actually just turned out to be consumer products <laughs> in the intervening time. I always got a HomePod. <laughs> yeah, I think pretty much. Although now I do want to get a bunch of um, Echoes and replace the standard voice with uh, Paul Bettany. <laughs> Amazon, if you're listening, get on that. <laughs> the The scene where Pepper has to put her hand in the the hole in Tony's chest to pull out or to, to grab hold of a little wire and just bring it out far enough for him to do something with it, but don't pull it too hard because you'll yank the magnet out. I that there's some bits that I, I don't understand why the magnet shouldn't be doing anything because it's not connected to anything now. So why is pulling it out an issue? But why hasn't he gone to a hospital? Or why hasn't he phoned for some personal doctors? I'm sure he has them on staff. <laughs> because he wanted a Burger King. <laughs> no. He's, he's, I'm just going to sit in my garage and drag shit out of my heart and just get my personal assistant to plug me back in. It'll be fine. She has tiny hands. <laughs> and whilst his chest is leaking... Pass. Goop. <laughs> Goop. <laughs> well, Nathan, you might not be convinced, but I I love that film. It's just a a fairly no brainer action film that even if it had just been one on its own would be quite good and complete. Yeah, that's fair, I suppose. Despite describing it as heavy scoops of origin story, if there had never been any more, it still would have been okay. It's not like I. I don't know if films are so particularly bad for it, but a lot of terrible video games end on sequel bait. I'm trying to think of an example of that now. I mean, all the examples I can think of you'll not have heard of because I've got a terrible habit for watching Twitch videos of critically panned shovelware video games. <laughs> I'm pretty sure um, Gears of War left you on a cliffhanger. Oh, that's true. It's the Empire Strikes Back effect, though, isn't it? Like, we'll tell you this story, but we know we're making another one, so we can't bother to finish it now. <laughs> Which is actually what they do with Iron Man 2, really. 
Yeah, I think Iron Man 2 does have um, the problem of most second movies, where it is most definitely filler. And it's we now just need to round out our characters and cement the story a little bit ready for three. Now, see, that's interesting, because I would have predicted that they would have actually had a chance to do a more conventional three-act thing, whereas this one was... Like I said, at the halfway point, it could have said, I'm going to get super into low-carbon steel. That's what the world <laughs> needs. <laughs> I, mean, I think the thing with that is, between Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 is Avengers Assemble, which breaks up Tony's journey and means you don't get the standard sort of three-arc... Uh, sorry, three-act arc. I think when we watch Iron Man 2, I think you can probably see that you don't need Iron Man 2 so much, if I remember correctly. I think it's more, definitely more 3. 3 is much more embedded in the the narrative of the whole MCU. 2 is... Now I'm trying to remember which one briefly touches on Tony Stark's um, self-destructing alcoholism. It might be, uh, I that think might, that might be two. I think that is two. Yeah, two is very much a, a Tony Stark go development from your know, Playboy on the outside to someone a bit more mainstream, and then the, the the transition from Iron Man to Iron Man Two is very different from Iron Man Two to Thor. Given that the the post, I'm talking specifically about the uh, the post credit sections on both films. But hey, you'll have to wait till next week to find out what Nathan, well, sorry, two weeks time to find out what Nathan thinks about the post credit scene of Thor. Are we doing Iron Man 2? Oh, that's a, what, Thor's the one after that? Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I've got this up. <laughs> <laughs> the post credit scene of Iron Man 2. Yes, which does all the foreshadowing for Thor. There we go. Got there in the end. I am really struggling to imagine how the fictional universe in this film is going to expand to include Asgardians. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so far the most science fiction element is glowing blue LEDs are a power source now. <laughs> Repulses. And I guess there's a lot more moist in this universe. <laughs> patented repulsor technology. We would tell you how it works, but we can't because it's patented. <laughs> it's powered by palladium, mcguffinium, and unobtainium. Zero point energy. There you go. That covers a whole oh. multitude of, of made up tech. How do we power everything in this, <laughs> this side of the galaxy? <laughs> Goddamn Atlantis. I think one of the things that slows Iron Man down a little bit, but makes it a good origin story for me, for, this, for me, is the very scientific way Tony Stark goes about building his secret suit in secret and totally fucking it up and nearly killing himself several times during the test phase. Yeah. I wonder of which of these chemicals I have synthesized will kill me. Let me taste them all. <laughs> If one tries to kill me, the other one must be an antidote. <laughs> but I guess uh, the opening um, Iron Man Gambit has proven that Tony Stark is impervious to impact damage. Yeah. Look at damage immunity to bludgeoning. <laughs> I guess, well, with this being the first film, it's very difficult, as, as always, to baseline if we were to try and go sort of marks out of ten. Five. I feel slightly more culturally enriched than I would if I had spent two hours and ten minutes playing Magic the Gathering Puzzle Quest, but only slightly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's mostly because I've played so much Magic the Gathering Puzzle Quest, it's diminishing returns at this point. <laughs> I, I would, I think Iron Man stands up on its own, and it holds up really well. I'm going to give it 
a solid eight. Yeah, I'm, I'm hovering between the seven and eight kind of my area. I think the fact that Tony Stark cuts holes in all of his t-shirts to hide his secret power source kind of throws it a little bit for me, but no, it's a brand, so we'll forgive him for that. But yeah, solid eight. So next week then, or next time, two weeks time, Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2 versus Shadow Iron Man. Iron Man must defeat his shadow self, played by Don Cheadle. Yeah, so Don Cheadle, formerly the one times one is two guy. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding. <laughs>